I think that the, the risk factor is not technology replacing you. It's the advisor that's leverage, leveraging and utilizing that technology that may replace uh, the individual that is not taking advantage of that. Welcome to the Future Ready Advisor Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Sivarajan, wealth management consultant and behavioral scientist. Join me and my guests from industry experts to top advisors as we explore the pain points that financial advisors face, how they can solve them, free up their time, and make their practice future ready. Hi, everyone. I'm Sam Sivarajan. Welcome to today's episode of the Future Ready Advisor. Today, I'm here with Christopher Dudney, a seasoned financial planner who's here to talk about his experience in the industry, how his practice evolved, and how he is preparing for the future. Chris, welcome to the show. Chris, let me introduce you to our guests. Christopher is a seasoned financial prof professional with two decades of experience. He is a passionate advocate for financial literacy and promoter of access to financial planning for all Canadians. His goal is to make a positive impact in the financial services industry by providing comprehensive, inclusive, and holistic financial planning services. I'm looking forward to our chat, Christopher. So let's jump right in. And I'm going to ask if you can share with us a little bit about how you got into the business, how your practices evolved over the last couple of decades, and a sense of what your practice is like today. Sure. So I, I, I've been practicing for, uh, it will be 20 years uh, next year. I, I started um, initially uh, from an educational background in, in fashion. Uh, I, I had the, the aspirations and the goals of, of, of leading um, the, the buying uh, uh, division of, 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 of high-end luxury uh, menswear. And my friend's uh, uh, father, who is an uh, uh, extremely successful advisor uh, to this day, uh, basically said to me, you know, uh, uh, fashion is, is, is great, but you have so much uh, uh, potential and, and so much opportunity to do good uh, within financial services. So, you know, after a, a number of back and forth with, with my friends, father at the time, uh, I went back uh, uh, to school for finance and uh, uh, started my career as a, uh, as a financial advisor uh, initially. Uh, during that um, uh, process, I then uh, attained a, a number of designations uh, with, with my CFP, Certified Financial Planner, being, being the gold standard. And, you know, the trajectory of, of my practice is probably similar to anyone else uh, that's been practicing for the last uh, two decades. When, when, when I first came into the business, it was very much driven uh, on, on sales and transactions, right? You work for a big firm, they tell you to go out and, and get clients and, and basically you know, uh, position uh, products. But uh, today, uh, my practice is very much uh, around uh, comprehensive and holistic uh, uh, financial planning. And in fact, I think that is, is where the industry 
uh, should be, and if not, definitely heading in the uh, in the near future. Well, as you say, I think the trajectory is right, but I think the entry point that is one of the more fascinating stories I've heard about the entry from fashion into finance, etc. So. You talked to me, Christopher, before we started recording about uh, emotions and investing, and it's it's obviously an area uh, that's uh, and a topic that is fascinating to me, and about how we manage that with clients. You gave me the Tesla example, which I thought was really really good. Can you talk about that with uh, for our listeners? Um, and how you see AI and new technology impacting advisors in the coming years? Yeah, I, I um, it's fascinating to watch as a as a financial planner the uh, shift in I, I guess the uh, positions of of the end users or or or, or the clients. Um, the the reason why I brought up Tesla is that when I look at at Tesla as a security, I, I see a car manufacturer, but the vast uh, majority of the population, they see a tech company, and and we can have an argument or you know an, an exchange on on that one. But uh, what what's really stands out to me is the valuation of of, of the security. Um, I, I'm not in full agreement with it. Uh, you know the, the 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 PE ratio and and the market cap I think is absurd. Uh, but it's I, I, I guess my position is irrelevant because today uh, the the clientele. Especially the retail clients, they're not looking at financial reports, annual statements. Uh, they're really driven by emotion, and that emotion is highly, highly driven by uh, media, particularly social media. So today's investor is not necessarily, uh, again, reading a financial report. Uh, they are on Twitter. They're on Facebook. Uh, they're listening to. Uh, what we're doing today, various podcasts, which could potentially be dangerous depending on uh, uh, the the qualifications of of of, of those people uh, on 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 those uh, uh, using those uh, those mediums. So, you know, I um I am deeply deeply concerned about uh, the market today, uh, but also the market tomorrow in terms of risk of making irrational decisions uh, based solely on on emotion versus the the quantitative. Um, uh, 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 information and data at hand. I think it's an interesting point you make, alluding to some extent the idea of FOMO, the fear of missing out, and the influencers or the finfluencers that we're seeing on social media. I think the most recent example that we've seen, of course, is celebrities like Kim Kardashian or Tom Brady or Giselle Bündchen or Steph Curry getting into trouble for Bitcoin endorsements that they would have done on social media. And that is now uh, not only cost investors money that followed these advice or the um, endorsements of the influencers. I think that for the first time, we're actually seeing some potential blowback on the celebrity endorsers. I think the key thing that you're talking about is the fact that you as a CFP or any financial advisor, there is an accountability for the advice that they provide. Whereas I guess that a, a influencer on social media, the only accountability that they have is whether they're getting enough likes and following on their uh, social media channel. How does 
financial advisor compete against that? How do you compete against that? What do you tell your client? Well, first of all, I, I uh, make the distinction between uh, correlation and causation with respect to the the fin, uh, uh, fin, influencers, you know, et cetera. You know, the the clients are seeing somebody of success, uh, somebody uh, with a lot of money or a lot of followers, somebody that they see on TV or hear on radio, et cetera, and saying, "Well, look, if they're talking about this this investment or and or and or this security, then." Th- that must be the cause of their success. And, and that's not the case, but that is the interpretation, what they see at, at, at face value. But, you know, for, for us, for me, uh, I tell my clients that whenever in need of, of anything, you always uh, defer to the expert, right? So, so it, you know, if I have a medical condition, I'm not listening to uh, somebody on Twitter, I'm going to see my doctor. Uh, similarly, if I have a financial concern, again, I'm not listening to somebody on social media. I am going to my my financial planner. Uh, now, if, if you are going to want to uh, take in information, then you look for somebody that has the qualification to to then be you know somebody that you would want to to follow. But again, the the advice that is given shouldn't be advice. Uh, it, it has to be generic in nature because everybody's situation is completely different. You cannot make a prognosis without a proper diagnosis. And that's why uh, you need to seek the expertise of a uh, certified professional that will be able to go through the process with you and then be able to give you the recommendation specifically uh, for your uh, uh, situation. So, you know, it, it's a tough thing to do because there's also a major divergence between different cohorts, right? Like, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with somebody uh, in their 50s plus, it's a different conversation than, you know, somebody in their 20s and or, or 30s. They're influenced by different things. They're different, influenced by uh, different people. And then just from a behavioral standpoint, because they're of a different cohort, you know, the, the conversation obviously needs to be um, uh, specific uh, uh, for them as well. But I, I think that coming out of the pandemic, and especially with the year that we had in 2022, uh, a lot of people were exposed. Uh, a lot of people, unfortunately, were hurt. And now they're reverting back to you know, seeking out advice uh, from, from, from the experts. I think you make a great point. I've always differentiated between information and advice. And I think you're making that distinction perfectly clear. I think what you're getting on social media is information. And again, whether it's of good quality or not is a different issue. But the reality of information that is being provided, it's generic. Uh, It is not being tailored to the personal circumstances of each individual listener. Exactly what you said, you know, there's a difference between the needs of a 50-year-old versus a 30-year-old. Generic uh, information being provided by a influencer giving that message to thousands of listeners is hardly going to be able to personalize and take into account the specific risk tolerances or needs or goals or circumstances that advice is meant to do, which coming from a, a registered, regulated financial professional like yourself. And I think that's an important distinction that we've that, that you're making to your clients, but I think it's one that we need to regularly, I think, as the industry keep reminding consumers and investors that uh, 
there is a difference between information and advice, and there's a role for both, but don't confuse the two. In your experience, Christopher, over the last two decades, are you seeing changing needs or expectations in your clients? Has that evolved over the last two decades? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'll tell you, Sam, the, uh, the change that I've seen post-pandemic, so over the last, you know, uh, pandemic was, was what, 20, 2020? Uh, so over the last three years to the prior 17 years of my practice has been astronomical. A uh, couple things to, 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 to mention, you know, I've seen a dramatic shift of um, uh, focus on obviously health, uh, uh, mortality, but more specifically morbidity. Actually, to take it up a notch, I, I'll see a transfer of focus from uh, mortality to more to morbidity. People are living longer, but people are living with with illness. One of the things that you said before the the FOMO, the proliferation, the increase tech based solutions during the pandemic. Uh, has been uh, uh, quite quite substantial. So I've seen an increase of of, of people believing that uh, they are uh, the next Warren Buffett and going on you know uh, self directed uh, accounts, uh, stock picking, day trading, etc. What what is important to the client? You know, during the pandemic, we had something called the Great Resignation, uh, where people were uh, quitting their jobs and and starting individual uh, businesses or reevaluating their, their quality of living and say, you know saying that you know they'd rather be somewhere warmer or on a beach and the, you know the structure of working till you're 65 you know 40 hours a week etc uh, so there, there's just been a, a, a ton of, of, of changes both both quantitative and, and qualitative that I'm seeing from uh, from from clients uh, uh, today and again a massive change. 2020 forward versus prior uh, prior to that, we as advisors, we have become uh, quasi uh, therapists uh, in in some sense because you know when I when I speak to a client today, uh, we might be talking uh, initially about their their investment, uh, their insurance, their goals, but in that. Uh, becomes a conversation around, uh, and, and again, this is this is linked to their goals. But I want to travel more. I want to spend more time with the kids. I I I want to be healthier. I I want to work out more. You know, if I'm going to live longer, I want to be healthier and I want to be fitter. And and maybe I want to retire earlier. If I work later, I want to be able to be in good shape that when I do eventually retire, I can enjoy those retirement years. And and the conversations have definitely become more robust. As I said before, initially in my career, uh, the conversations were more transactional, right? So it was, what is my rate of return, or what is the rate of return I need to to get to this to this goal, or or how much uh, coverage do I need for this? Mm-hmm. The conversations weren't as deep uh, as as they are today, and and vice versa. So if there's one thing uh, that uh, has been good, so to speak, from the pandemic, is that it has really deepened uh, the conversation and the urge and the need for comprehensive holistic planning uh, afterwards. No, I think that's a, that's a great point. I, I suspect that the, the unprecedented situation with the pandemic has gotten clients to start thinking, as you say, more holistically, 
more about not just the what retirement is, but what retirement looks like in terms of the goals that they want, the, the type of environment they want to be in. And that obviously means that advisors need to step up their game in a sense, uh, the way you put it, is to move from the transactional to more of that therapist or behavioral coach side of, of the business. So to be able to engage in that type of conversation, to be able to ask the questions, to be able to dig deeper, to explore the underlying motivations or concerns that the clients may have and may not necessarily be verbalizing as easily or as clearly as I think that they think that they're doing or that they want to be doing. And I think I agree with you. I think that the future of the business is that there is going to be a more and more prominent role for the advisor to play on what I would call these non-technical or non-transactional side of a holistic financial advice. Which leads me to the next question for you. So you're active, I know, both in the planning side of the profession and involved in some of the newer technologies. I think we've talked about this evolution of the business, the evolution of advice. How do you see the two, the planning side and the technology side, working together? That's what technology allows us to do, allows us to maximize our time. I, I've had this conversation ad, ad, ad nauseum with a, a number of different um, uh, advisors and, and, and stakeholders in, in the industry. Uh, initially, uh, one of the big topics is or, or that has come up is um, uh, ChatGPT and the fear around a lot of advisors in the industry that uh, new and emerging technologies will will replace us. And I, I I disagree. I think that the the risk factor is not technology replacing you. It's the advisor that's leverage, leveraging and utilizing that technology that may replace uh, the individual that is not taking advantage of that. Wholeheartedly agree with you. I think uh, your uh, view that technology isn't something for advisors to be afraid of, but it, it can be their friend. It, it can be their friend when the uh, when they're using it right. I think it's bang on. I think the the technical side of the business, picking stocks, analyzing, evaluating, doing research, doing the quantitative analysis. I think we've got a version of technology now that is an updated version of what we were using twenty years ago. I think that the classic problem still remains, and that is the human side. As you say, buy low, sell high. There is not an investor or a client of an advisor that doesn't know this, but yet it's very hard to do when push comes to shove because we're human. So there's a difference between intention and action. And I think that the job of an advisor, I think the only job of an advisor really is to bridge that intention and action gap. You know, I always used to say that the job of an advisor is not to beat the market. The job of an advisor is to help the client beat themselves. And that's exactly what you're talking about in terms of your how you see technology and the empathy and the behavioral coaching side of the advisor coming together to help the client reach the outcomes in, in the way that they're putting. So I, I agree with you. I think that uh, I, I don't think there's anything really the advisors have to worry about it being put out of business of, of technology. I think what they do need to think about is how they use their time effectively in order to be able to serve their clients when they need them and how they need them in, in order to kind of serve them appropriately. Well, Chris, this has been amazing. 
We're coming to the end of our episode. And so I have a few final questions for you, something that I ask all of our guests. So this is in rapid fire format. If you're ready, finish this sentence, Christopher. I wish I had known. I wish I had known to be more patient. I wish I had known to be more patient. Uh, You know, we live in a world that is so fast paced and go, 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 go. Uh, all the time. And, and, and really, we should be in a position where we live for today. We, we plan for tomorrow, but we live for today. And, and so again, uh, being more patient is something that I wish that I would have um, uh, incorporated uh, much earlier. That's a great answer. I think you got me thinking that's one of the things I wish I had known. I would agree with that. Last, what do you think is the biggest pain point for most advisors? And what advice would you give them? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, on, on the topic of, of technology, uh, especially some of the older advisors are at uh, an inflection point in terms of what this industry looks like today and what it's going to look like going forward. And, and, and so my, I, I guess, advice to anyone, and it doesn't necessarily have to be an older advisor. I just I, I pinpointed that because I, I'm getting a lot of uh, pushback there. But my advice is to embrace the change, embrace uh, the technology. You know, we're, we're living in a world uh, where uh, technological advances are happening uh, daily. You know, if you look at Moore's law. The, the, the increase of these are going to continue at, at a rapid pace. So we need to evolve. We need to evolve. We know that this is the, the, the present. We also know that this is the future. And w- one of the other things that I would say is that if you are an older advisor and you're having some difficulties with technology, then you, you, you know, you necessarily, I, I get what you'd want to do is look at partnering uh, with other individuals or teams uh, that uh, are more proficient because this isn't going away. And as I said earlier, the risk is not the technology, but it's the advisor that's leveraging that technology. So if you don't want to do it yourself, you definitely need a, a team member, an associate uh, that has the ability to do so and the desire and the want to do so. I think that's great advice. Christopher, this has been fun and lots of great stuff to take away. If listeners want to learn more about you, your practice, or find out about your work, where do they go? Right. So our URL is uh, www.dudney.ca. Dudney is D-E-W-D-N-E-Y.ca. I can also be found on uh, Twitter under the the name Mr. Uh, Dudney. So M-R- D-E-W-D-N-E-Y. That's great. Thank you, Christopher. All the best. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Future Ready Advisor. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you could rate it while you're at it, I would appreciate it. Visit samsivarajan.com where you can download a behavioral coaching guide and find other resources. Join me in the next episode for more tips and tools to make your practice future ready.